Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Mikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. In the Pacific uh, and targeting Australia, there is not just one syndicate. A transnational crime expert says the recent record-breaking Pacific cocaine seizure is still just a drop in the ocean. Also, Japan's going to continue to say yes, it's safe, even in the face of evidence that it's not. An international law expert says Japan is trying to pass the buck of its planned nuclear wastewater dump onto Pacific countries and... Uh, envisaged the removal of the last part of the mangroves that are still surviving in the area. The Fiji government is being urged to revoke a lease for a Chinese developer planning to build over one of Suva's last mangrove forests. An expert in transnational crime and regional security says the record seizure of cocaine announced by New Zealand authorities on Wednesday, while significant, is still just a drop in the ocean. Over three tonnes of cocaine was picked up in international waters north of New Zealand through a joint operation last week involving police, customs and the Defence Force. Altogether, 81 bales of the drug was seized, weighing 3.2 tonnes, with an estimated street value of half a billion dollars. Police Commissioner Andre Costa said the historic seizure would land a major financial blow to the illegal drug market. It's intercepting what would be 30 years' worth of cocaine supply in New Zealand and a year's worth in Australia is a huge result. Um, we have a method of calculating social harm uh, and in, on the New Zealand calculation for this, if this was coming into New Zealand communities, $9.5 billion worth of social harm from uh, drugs of this, this quantity. So it's, it's massive, uh, even without prosecutions, although uh, we will still be pursuing those as well. But a senior fellow in transnational crime and regional security at the ANU's Australia Pacific Security College, Jose Souza Santos, says the full picture of drug trafficking through the Pacific involves a web of criminal syndicates stretching from the Americas through Australia and New Zealand into Asia, Africa and Europe and back again. Well, from my uh, perspective and experience, this is this is a great success from from this joint operation by uh, you know, New Zealand law enforcement and, and uh, defence. Uh, and you know, when we're talking about 3.2 tons of uh, of, co- of cocaine, um, so this it is definitely going to impact uh, what we what we believe is you know the largest um, syndicate uh, operating through the region. But we must remember that in the Pacific. Uh, and targeting Australia, there is not just one syndicate. So even though um, you know this is a large quantity um, of uh, of cocaine, uh, and the price in the Australian market, you know, is at uh, I think almost half a billion dollars. Um, at the point of origin, we're not looking at, uh, at that much. So it's not costing uh, as much for the the cartel itself uh, at point of origin uh, as it is to the importer. Um, you know, for the to the syndicates in Australia, uh, is this kind of, uh, of of amount going to have an impact? Definitely, uh, it's also going to uh, force these the, the the cartels and syndicates uh, to rethink uh, their their current tactics and operations. This tactic of uh, of dropping off the drugs within in inside the nets with buoyancy. Uh, uh, or, or floating uh, devices, and uh, and also with devices where, which uh, which they can then utilize to, to find them again. That's been utilized now for decades, and this is the first time where uh, you know law enforcement uh, and defense, you know, in in the Pacific region, have been able to actually get a whole cache 
uh, of these drugs. You yeah, know, when it's always it. been washed up on when they are sort of drifted, uh, gone astray. It's always been the little packets and that that we've seen, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so this is, you know, this is uh, this this sends a very strong message. So what do we so what do we see from our side? Uh, are we going to see uh, the um, this cartel or other cartels uh, or syndicates uh, change the tactic? Or are they going to simply stay with a, with a tried and true tactic, knowing that New Zealand or regional law enforcement uh, is now being more ag- agile and, is, and has become more um, more successful in their operations to to disrupt them? Mm. Now, um, there's been some talk about the the some of the questions were put about the the Clover logo, the the brand on these drugs. Is is the the brand on the drugs familiar to you in your research? Do you are you able to identify syndicates through that, or is that it just uh, the police commissioner saying it changes every every now and again? It ch- it changes. It's uh, and it, it it changes depending on the batch. Uh, it changes depending on you know which sec uh, which uh, group of uh, or part of that cartel the the drugs originate from, or even it might even refer exactly to the um, uh, to the order. Uh, of the drugs. Now they talked about it being a joint operation. Um, they they were obviously for operational reasons very scant on details about exactly how this was located. They suggested that the uh, the reason they were involved in picking up the 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 cash was because they were the closest in terms of just their geographical location and and resources. How like in your sort of understanding, how would it be possible to locate such a complete stash does it have to be inside intel or something right oh no there's there, there are different ways um you know and there's uh you know, there's information that's that, that's of course that's open source um you know there's investigations you know there, there could be um you know as you said inside intel there could be you know ways to pick up on the frequency of uh, of, of, of the transponders there could be a myriad of different ways that they were able to get this intelligence what this showed is uh, since the New Zealand government took the step of making the uh, New Zealand Navy uh, have, have having part of its remit, its uh, operations in transnational countering transnational crime, uh, as I see, this has definitely paid off, and this is what's shown. And it's it's you know, and I think it uh, it definitely shows that you know, the agencies and 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 the defence worked well together. There, there would have had to have been you know, collaboration with regional or other partners, uh, law enforcement. Um, so you know, the way forward is definitely. Uh, you know, for us to be able to, you know, continue to disrupt the activities of, uh, of uh, criminal syndicates in the region is through cooperation, through, uh, you know, greater sharing of information. Uh, and, you know, as we, um, you know, we raised during our, um, our conference uh, last year, the Pacific Regional Enforcement Con- Conference, by bringing all, you know, of the key agencies, all of the uh, ILVAs, and ensuring that we are all on the same page. You know, if we are on the front foot for once, mm-hmm. uh, let's maintain that momentum. An international law expert believes Japan is passing the risk of its proposed release of treated nuclear wastewater into the ocean onto Pacific leaders. This follows a meeting in Japan between a Pacific Islands forum delegation and the government of Japan, where Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave his assurance that Japan will not discharge over 1 million tonnes of wastewater from the damaged Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, until such time that it is verifiably safe to do so. Duncan Curry told Lydia Lewis it's a lacklustre outcome with Pacific nations stuck in between a rock and a hard place. I've been working on this issue with people in Korea for 
oh, over a year now, and it really does seem increasingly apparent apparent that the only way of stopping Japan from going ahead with its plans is by taking legal action. And uh, quite frankly, it's a rather simple action which needs to be taken, which is filing a case before the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, and uh, on the basis that Japan is not legally, and I think it's really clear that it's not legally permitted to cause this kind of pollution of the, both the high seas and of neighbouring countries, including the Pacific countries. So while it's really good news that the Pacific Island Forum is taking this very seriously and is engaging in discussions with Japan, unfortunately there's no indication that Japan is going to change its mind. And in fact, quite the opposite, they're going ahead, they're building the tunnels, they're building the infrastructure, and there's every indication that they do intend to go ahead. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important that the Pacific Island countries, and particularly those in the North Pacific, because that's where the radiation is likely to end up, take the necessary steps to actually make sure this doesn't happen. I mean, the Federated States of Micronesia, the president, uh, Mr Panuelo, has come out last week and said that he completely trusts Japan and has no reservations about this nuclear waste disposal at all. What was your reaction to that? Well, unfortunately, the science isn't there. You know, the science, um, we do know that there can be cumulative effects of radiation in marine life. What we do know that Japan has not carried out the kind of research and test that it needs to have carried out on on the marine life, on, again, accumulation, you know, what happens when the radiation elements and so on, and, and what happens when it goes through the food chain. So none of us can confidently say, and including Japan, can confidently say this will not affect the either the marine life or indeed even ultimately end up in humans that may end up eating the marine, the, the, the seafood. You know, I was in Korea just before Christmas, and it was very, very clear that Jap- that sorry that South Korean co- consumers are extraordinarily concerned about this. You know, surveys have shown that over 90% of South Korean seafood consumers would not buy fish that could have been contaminated by this pollution. And uh, I think that people will find increasingly that this is a widespread concern. I spoke with TEPCO and they maintain that this is going to be safe. It's not necessarily safe right now, but by the time this wastewater is released, it will be safe. Do you believe them? Well, uh, firstly, they have absolutely no intention of removing the tritium in the seawater, and that is highly radioactive. And again, that accumulates in seafood. We do know that from the very few studies that have been carried out on tritium. Uh, we also know that there'll be other um, radioactive substances in, in that water. We know that the the uh, t- treatment that they've been carrying out, called the ALPS treatment, has not been successful and the water has had to be retreated. So unfortunately, the facts just do not um, bear that kind of um, bland assurance. I mean, if... If Japan had done what it needs to do, which is carry out a full environmental impact assessment, carrying out studies on the marine life, remember this release is going to be for over 30 years, 
So these have got to be long-term studies. Um, if that kind of studies had been done, then I think we'd be having a different conversation. What we do know, for example, is um, recent correspondence with the International Atomic Energy Agency showed that um, Japan had only done any studies on three species, um, you know, a flatfish, I think it was, a, uh, a species of crab and a, um, a, and a species of seaweed. And you know, this is just not good enough. PIF has sent out a statement saying it welcomes Jap- the Japanese uh, Prime Minister's assurance that Japan will not discharge the nuclear wastewater until such a time that is, it is verifiably safe to do so. What do you make of that statement? A bit vague? It's vague, but the question is who's done the verification? You know, the studies that the International Atomic Energy Agency have been carried out are simply studies on the um, dose, what's called dose-response relationship with, the, with, with some marine life, and that is not what we're looking for. What we need to know is that what happens when the, these radioactive substances accumulate in the, in the, the fish and in, in, in the marine life. And the, the other point to bear in mind is that there is an easy alternative here. TEPCO can acquire more land, build more tanks, and tritium, which again is the main radioactive substance here of, of immediate concern, um, only has a relatively short half-life of 12 years. So the longer it's stalled, the less of a threat it is. So the safest thing to do and the sensible thing to do is simply keep on storing it. The reason I won't do, do that is it's simply cheaper to discharge to the Pacific than it is to um, explore these alternatives. A conservationist is calling on the Fiji government to revoke a lease for a major development that threatens one of Suva's last remaining mangrove forests. The project by Chinese developers Tianlun Investment Limited aims to build a hotel, marina and apartment complex on an area that includes the mangroves. The proposed project's name, Fiji's Tianlun, is estimated to cost about 300 million US dollars. Reverend James Bagwan says community consultation has been delayed and an environment assessment has not been completed. Mr Bagwan says he's just one of many people in the community opposing the development. The proposed project was going to basically envisage the removal of the last part of the mangroves that were still surviving in the area. And with its plan for marina would also be um, doing some major work in the uh, in the bay itself, Lothala Bay, which is part uh, of which Suva Harbour forms a part. The mangrove area, uh, mangrove land is state land, state mangrove land. Um, and because it's sort of off from the main road, it's kind of out of sight, which sometimes means, you know, out of sight is out of mind. As we continued the, you know, the discussions, the conversations amongst various concerned stakeholders, uh, residents in the area, the uh, Suva Harbour Foundation um, and other concerned citizens uh, in various fora of discussion, a couple of us on uh, early Sunday morning before church went uh, into the Lavetti Creek, which uh, is basically is the mouth for this particular mangrove area, and, and went to investigate exactly what was at risk. What we saw in terms of the size of the uh, mangrove forest, the maturity of the the mangrove trees, the huge biodiversity, and interestingly enough, the fact that the mangrove forest or reserve has already been decimated by 50% for another 
development, which was approved about uh, 10 years ago and has been constantly working. And that work has resulted in uh, the narrowing of the creek in some places. So uh, when we have heavy rain coupled with high tide, some of the streets in that area actually flood and we have homes that get flooded. Monday was a, uh, a good example of that. Monday and Tuesday where we had heavy rains and some of the area was, was actually being flooded. And what are you calling on the Fijian government to do? What we uh, basically uh, are looking at is firstly the, the, com- the community consultation and the environmental impact report uh, has not been completed. And so the, the community consultation was postponed to, uh, to last night and then um, early this week we received notice of it being postponed yet again. So there's no clear understanding of when these consultations and the, uh, what, what the environmental impact assessment will look like. So that's one concern. The second is that there has been no other consultation with residents or landowners in the area, and that is a, a major issue. But when we look at the documents of the project, which have been um, sent to stakeholders, the lease is an initial, as they usually do in Fiji, it's an initial five-year lease of state land and uh, state mangrove reserve with a uh, potential for a 99-year lease on approval of environmental impact assessments, etc. So because it is state land, we are calling on the government basically to revoke this lease. It expires in October this year. The initial five-year lease expires in October this year. So we're saying either they let that expire uh, or revoke that, but to ensure that the 99-year lease is not given to this, um, this project. And the reason is, despite the various designs and their proposals, um, it does not look realistic in terms of being able to maintain the mangrove it does not look realistic in terms of being able to protect the coastal and uh, immediate um, foreshore and ocean area. Um, and uh, we're concerned, one, about the biodiversity, two, about livelihoods of people who forage the area and fish in the area. And so these are the major concerns that we have. Have the developers given any assurance to you or anybody else opposed to this development that the mangrove area would be protected? Um, well, that's what uh, we've seen in the newspaper, but we haven't had the consultation yet. That's the problem. The other issue is um, in terms of um, the, the construction, because of where the land is, there is really no guarantee that you can protect and preserve the area, especially with the size of development that is um, going to be taking place. And um, the recognition when you come to the issue of biodiversity that if you engage in a certain area, it affects the whole area. And we've already seen that with the Nasese Waters project, which has taken away half of the uh, mangrove area already, and the effect and impact that has on uh, not only the the reduction of mangrove, which is, of course, the most uh, powerful type of uh, carbon sink that we have at the moment, and also with uh, seagrass in the area, but the impact that that's having on homes in the area. So this is one concern. The other is that the project proposes a marina, and we've already seen the examples of of the destruction that can take place um, 
when these sorts of projects are, are put in mind without any real understanding of the biodiversity or of the situation. Uh, one such issue was, of course, the Malolo uh, project in Fiji, which um, destroyed part of the reef. And as, as a result, there is a, a court case with, uh, with the developers and the Ministry of Environment. And, uh, you know, the, the developers were found guilty in that particular case. And so, um, you know, we are people who know the area very well. So apart from the, the scientific aspects, we're concerned about what that will do in terms of the area in which we, the construction is planned to take place, what it does to the traffic, what it does to the communities living in the area, what it does to the ocean, which is um, particularly significant because um, that mangrove is, uh, is kind of uh, what brings life into the bay. The construction that would be required to put in a marina in a place like Nasese would severely impact the rest of the, of the bay itself. You know, when it comes to ocean, you can't really put a border around an area because water flows, sediment flows, and all these things start to affect the marine life in the area as well. So it's a major concern for us. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for more next time.